The estate planning team is an Ohio registered investment advisor. The following is for informational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any securities or financial products. Be sure to consult with a qualified financial advice and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. You have financial goals and dreams. We can help you achieve them. Welcome to Financial Food for Thought, the show that answers all the questions on how to maximize your lifestyle and preserve your wealth. Yeah, bring me champagne when I'm thirsty. Bring me ripple when I want to get high. Good morning, everyone. You found Financial Food for Thought. My name is Mark Donnelly. And, of course, this music can only mean one thing, and it's our annual 420 show. Now, Carrie has the weekend off, so I'll be handling the duties today on my own. And if you're not familiar with the 420 reference, it has to do with the new green economy. And I'm not talking about the windmill farms. You know, I'm talking about the cannabis. And once a year, around April 20th, we just take a thermometer reading on what is going on in this country, right, regarding the marijuana industry. And specifically, I'm not here to debate the pros and cons of using marijuana or any of the forms of it, edibles or what have you. I'm just talking about the laws and where this country is going. And I'm not going to spend the whole show on this. We're going to get back to, um, I want to talk about the 50-30-20 rule later on today, too. Um, so, but but right now, you know, uh, reefer madness, right? There's 39 states, the majority, obviously, 39 states, and the D.C., right, have legalized medical usage. And 18 states, including D.C., have legalized recreational use. Right? Some of the newest states to legalize, Connecticut, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, Virginia. In fact, Virginia is the first southern state to give the green light to recreational use. So we'll talk about that. Chuck Schumer, of course, Senate leader, says 420 or April 20 is unofficially a holiday. Do you feel that way? Um, so we'll talk about a little bit about that and why it's becoming such a legal issue, meaning is, is this going to be a big economic boom that they originally were talking about. I mean, there's one thing about how much tax revenues, how much syntax revenues the states could collect, right? Um, but it's also the legal issues for all the employers and, and are, you know, can they, you know, fire somebody who, who's coming in high? To work, So there's a lot of legal issues and the fact that it's not really legalized from the federal government standpoint. So you have that whole dilemma. But so we'll talk a little bit about that as well as other things. So, again, you're listening to Mark Donnelly. This is Financial Food for Thought brought to you by the estate planning team. The estate planning team has been helping Cleveland families build custom financial plans for over 35 years. And you can reach us give you the home phone or our business phone number 440-239-2090 if you would like a free consultation we can do those in person or by the phone it's your preference um, we are an ohio registered fiduciary planning firm um, we we you know again we're not investment advisors you know a lot of people call saying you know we're not here to talk about what stocks or bonds or mutual funds or you know 
you know, any exchange traded funds or whether you should buy cryptocurrency or not. That's not what we do. Plenty of good investment advisors out there. You hear a lot of them talk on this radio, on this radio station as well. We're more of a traditional financial planner building models, financial planning models that project, you know, based on your circumstances or your goals and objectives. And then looking out and what pathway, where does that take you in the future? Again, you know, there's, we think that too many people today are trying to make financial decisions that, are, that without having really a way to get a, an eye on what they will do in the future. Meaning, how does a financial decision you make today, that could be when you retire, could be if you have a pension election when you retire, could be when you elect to start Social Security income, um, could be how much risk you're taking on in your investment portfolio. Any of those things, you could make an assumption, say, yeah, this is where I'm at, but what does that mean over the next 30 years? That's what a good financial planning model, uh, a formal one, one that you're, you know, you're printing out. And, but, but more importantly than just printing it out, that's a mistake we also see a lot of people make. They do a financial model once. They print it out and put it in the sock drawer for 30 years. That's not going to be the answer either. It's, it's really the idea of the financial planning discipline is the idea saying, yeah, you, you, you base your current model on the best assumptions you can make today using conservative and realistic assumptions. And then as reality changes, one of the assumptions that you made, well, then you know how to go in and adjust your plan accordingly. Doesn't mean you start all over again with a new plan. It may just be you have to tweak it for based on what reality. And that could be today we're talking or this year we're talking a lot about the real inflation. You know, we haven't had an 8% handle on inflation in over 40 years. So we've been helping clients build plans for 35 years. We've never had to really deal with this level of inflation since we've been helping clients. Um, now we are. And it's, and it's, nothing, it's nothing new, so to speak. We always have been, you know, over the 35 years, we've always made assumptions for inflation. Um, but we've never, you know, the, the plan models that we started maybe four or five years ago, maybe even two or three years ago, they weren't using the higher rate of inflation. Remember, we were very uh, used to, I mean, for 20 years, we had inflation under 2%. So that changes things, and it may change. So if, you're, if you had run a model, a financial model, and you had, had prepared that a number of years ago, and with the time you were using what was a realistic rate of inflation at that point, you may, this may be time when you go in and you adjust that. Um, all right, so again, if you'd like help with that, you can call us at 440-239-2090. Um, you can also visit our website. It's Financial Food for Thought, just one string, lowercase, financialfoodforthought.com. On there, you'll, have, uh, you'll see financial articles, calculators. You can link to, our, to these radio show podcasts, so you can go back and listen at, any, at your convenience at any time you, you want. You, we, the, the station keeps a good bank of past shows on podcasts. You can just hook, you know, hook up to those for, uh, from our website. You can also sign up for free, no obligation consultation. And as I said, uh, you, you, can, you can do that right online or you can call us at 440-239-2090. If you call today, just leave a message and uh, Carrie will probably get back to Carrie or Wendy will get back to you on Monday morning. So if you're not familiar with the reference to 420, um, what does it mean? Well, Today, it's April 20th, being the, the 20th day of the fourth month, but it originally wasn't a reference to the day. It was in reference to the time, 4.20 p.m., and it comes out of California. So in 1971, five high school students uh, used the term 4.20 in connection with the plan to search for an abandoned cannabis crop based on a treasure map made by the grower. They called themselves their little group. They had a name for themselves. They called themselves the Waldos. 
And that came from um, a typical hangout spot, which was a wall outside their school. Okay. And of course, they would meet after school at the wall and guess at what time that would be. You got it, 420. And then, so then they would go from there and then they would go on this treasure hunt trying to find this abandoned cannabis crop. Now, they never really did find it, hard to believe, right? Um, but it, the term or the, the, the crypto code for the cult became 420, meaning that, you know, that was a time or a reference to people who were pro-marijuana. Um, and it's been used many times. So there's a lot of references, um, you know, to 420. Um, I remember last year, you know, and, and one of them was the NFL. Okay, so the the uh, NFL, um, I think it was last year, was the first year that they were going to loosen up the rules on their drug testing. So what, so what they said was that um, for the time period between April 20th and I think like August 19th, you know, where typically the NFL players are randomly drug tested throughout the year, they, they would be a moratorium. They would not uh, penalize any NFL football players who tested positive for THC. They would, they would get penalized for other drug tests, but for THC, um, they wouldn't be penalized in that period. Um, so, you know, and, and I think that's probably going again this year too, I assume. Um, so there may be hope for Josh Gordon yet, um, in that category, but so there, and and I think maybe the, the, uh, and when I say it's, it's a legal issue and and this is the part. So you heard, um, the beginning, you know, I, I was playing that clip and so what, what happened this year is that the house and who you heard there was Jerry Nadler, and he's the New York Democrat representative. And he was sponsoring what, remember, he, he referred to it as the MORE Act, the Marijuana Opportunity Reinvestment and Expungement Act. And that passed the House this year, okay, um, a 220 to a 204 uh, vote. And that is, and, and you heard him talk about, you know, the fact that, you know, there was long overdue legislation that would reverse decades of failed federal policies based on the criminalization of marijuana. It would also take steps to address the heavy toll these policies have taken across the country, particularly among communities of color. So it was really, um, you know, the idea that it, it was a step to say, is the federal gonna, government going to make or decriminalize marijuana to the point that, you know, they, that would, would take away all the roadblocks right now that are preventing the boom economy happening, you know, because again, right now, this, you know, a lot of potential big, big pocket investors or producers, whatever, they're the reason why they're not going gung ho into the marijuana industry is because still it's federally, <laughs> it's hard to cross state lines. It's hard, and, and and it's against the law federally. So, so that's the thing. Now, I don't think there's any path in the Senate for this House passed bill to legalize marijuana to go anywhere. Um, you know, right now the Democrats don't have that sixty vote majority. And I don't think, you know, they're not going to be able to pass this with the 50 vote, <laughs> you know, through a budget resolution or something. So I, I don't think it's going to go anywhere um, as much as the Democrats, they're talking about it and they did pass it in the House. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Now, some of the things uh, interesting, getting a thermometer reading on America I already said how many states have legalize it for medical as well as how many states 18 states have legalized for recreational but what what is the pew research center okay so they they did a survey on americans and their findings say about nine in ten americans favor some form of marijuana legalization and six out of ten favor legalization at both the medical and recreational levels Now, interesting enough, though, their survey goes on to say that only about 46% of Americans admit to having ever used marijuana. 
hmm, um, I did not inhale that woman. Right. So, so it's kind of like, so nine out of 10 favorite, but only uh, uh, 46%, you know, four or five out of 10 that they've ever tried it. That's an interesting comment. Um, and the, and, and a lot of the, the comments on, the, uh, you know, from, you know, the Naders and the Schumers is the fact that there's so many people incarcerated because of these, you know, marijuana. And why can't we just get rid of that? Um, so th- th- I guess the, the, the studies say right now about 40,000 people are in jail currently on marijuana charges um, over the past 20 years. About 16 million people were arrested for marijuana offenses, and the country has spent about $47 billion on the war on drugs, um, which maybe they're not winning. But And some of the other legalese of this debate um, keeps coming up. You know, again, it's so at this time of year, you know, the articles on marijuana, you know, sprout up like weeds, right? No pun intended. Um, okay, here's one. Uh, IRS uh, privately says that the use of cannabis in worship services precludes tax exemption as a church. Hmm. So, so what is that all about? Well, that's a reference back to, oh boy, back a long time ago. You know, I think about um, 2015, um, where when, when the marijuana first started being um, legalized, um, the there was a church group that actually tried to get exempt status. I mean, they, they, really, what they wanted to do was enjoy their their marijuana without any taxes or anything like that. It was, I think, it was, it was the first Church of Cannabis. I think it was called, and they actually got approval as a tax exempt status. So I think since that time, many other organizations calling themselves churches have gone under that umbrella as well. Well, apparently, in one of these latest cases, the IRS is, call, is pulling a plug on that and saying, no, the, you can't keep doing this. Um, you know, the, saying that the cultivation and consumption of cannabis is part of the group's religious rituals, uh-uh, that, that ain't going to fly anymore. Um, so we'll still do that. And, and, and it's still, you know, it's, it's still the idea that we, I don't know if we've really seen the, the, boom the financial boom you know kind of like the gold rush gold rush right in the olden days uh you, you know there was a lot of talk about the gold rush but how many people really got rich on the gold rush other than you know mr levi who came up you know sold the jeans to the people going out to the prospect right and that's the idea that a lot of people are saying the new green economy is that it's not only the growing the marijuana but it's all the ancillary businesses around it that would that would prosper and create a new billion dollar industry, um, but I remember you know Washington State was one of the was one of the first states to to legalize the recreational use. California was the first state a long long time ago, back in '96 or whatever, where they were the first ones to legalize the medical usage. But then it was Colorado and Washington, you know, back in oh, I guess it was 2012 maybe were the first states to, to legalize the recreational use. But, you know, I remember at the time for Washington, the way they were spinning it or putting a light on it was saying, okay, so you ha- it was, it was going to benefit the small, or not the small, but, you know, the, the, the farmer, the Washington farmer. And, 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 again, these are, you know, big farms, not small little farms in your backyard. But they were saying, for example, at the time, one of the highest profit crops in Washington state was blueberries. Okay. So, and they said that, you know, planting and harvesting and selling about an acre of blueberries gets the farmer around $17,000 in profit. Okay. That's not bad for just putting some, you know, seeds in the ground, right? Especially depending on how many acres you have, right? But they said, compare that to what they, the profit windfall if they're, instead of planting and harvesting blueberries, if they were planting and harvesting cannabis. Okay, in that case, the profits for an acre is a bit more than 17000 No, at the time they were saying that would profit about $7.4 million. Um, that's quite a difference, right? Now, I don't know. Again, I don't know if those types of numbers have ever, you know, really happened. 
part of that though could be what the, the there's a lot of people saying that it's because the federal government has not you know cleared the legal ease so that these um, marijuana boom can really get going. Okay, so I've got this Jerry Nadler clip, and this this is uh, him on the house. This is talking about the more. Speaker, I yield myself such time as I may consume. Gentleman is recognized. Mr. Speaker, H.R. 3617, the Marijuana Opportunity Reinvestment and Expungement Act, or the MORE Act, is long overdue legislation that would reverse decades of failed federal policies based on the criminalization of marijuana. It would also take steps to address the heavy toll these policies have taken across the country, particularly among communities of color. For far too long, we have treated marijuana as a criminal justice problem instead of as a matter of personal choice and public health. Whatever one's views are on the use of marijuana for recreational or medicinal use, the policy of arrest, prosecution, and incarceration at the federal level has proven both unwise and unjust. That is why the Act would set a new path forward and would begin to correct some of the injustices of the last 50 years. The bill decriminalizes marijuana at the federal level by removing it from the Controlled Substances Act. This change applies retroactively to prior and pending convictions. It does not, however, undermine the ability of states to apply their criminal laws to marijuana or to legalize and regulate it as they see fit. Okay, so you get you get the so that's the that's the wave. I don't know. Again, I don't think there's any pathway in the Senate to or to approve this any further. But I think every year, as more and more states and and enact laws that legalize it, how much longer will it be before it happens? And and again, the companies that are going to be interested in trying to make a profitable business are are going to are waiting with bated breath. For example, right now, another example of the legalese of all this, right? Um, currently, marijuana firms can't use, for example, accelerated depreciation for computing inventory. The service and the courts take the view that even in states where it is legal to sell and use marijuana, the federal tax statute generally prohibits business deductions for sellers of controlled substances that are illegal under the U.S. law. These companies can write off only their cost of goods sold, what they pay for the inventory and transportation costs, but they cannot use accelerated depreciation methods to figure their deductibility inventory costs. And that's a recent tax court memo. So, so that's the idea that it, it's if you really is there going to be enough of a push from the entrepreneurs who are saying we've got a, a business, we've got a demand in this country, we've got you know the the, the war on drugs hasn't worked. Uh, most Americans are okay with it. Is it going to happen? Um, we'll see. Now, I think maybe the best reference this year to 420 could be from the richest man in the world, Elon Musk, right? So, so we all got, you know, all heard all the Twitter talk, right, where Elon Musk put, is putting a uh, tender offer, not, not one that Twitter wants, you know, to buy Twitter. And did you notice the price he threw out per share that he was offering? Fifty four twenty, right? Fifty four dollars and twenty cents. Now, do you think there's any coincidence that four twenty? You know, Elon, of course, raised eyebrows back in well, I guess around twenty eighteen when he, you know, you know, striked up a doobie on the, the Joe Rogan show, right, podcast, right? And everyone who got, that, was, that was one of the first uh, tastes of Elon Musk that uh, everybody got. So we'll see. So we'll talk. Now, speaking of uh, Elon Musk, you know, it's also earnings season. And we're really watching earnings season this year. Well, we watch it every year, but it, it, we're, we're really interested in to see how – America, and specifically the corporations, the big guys in America, how are they dealing with this post-pandemic shutdown? Are they going to make it? 
you know, with all the other headwinds that are facing them, including the inflation and the supply chain problems and the war in in Europe and the Federal Reserve now raising interest rates. You know, Fed Chairman Powell spoke this week and basically said that 50 basis points is on the table in May uh, and and possibly longer. I think right now. Wall Street's kind of pricing in that there'll be four consecutive 50 base point increases starting, you know, May 4th. So what is that going to do to one of what's that going to do to the debt service this country has to pay? But also what's it going to do to your 30 year mortgage rates? And 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 is the consumer, you know, you know, gonna, now why is the Fed doing that? Of course, because they're trying to clamp down on this eight and a half percent inflation handle. Right. And they're risking or they're betting that America's economy is strong enough to withstand those interest rate hikes, even though obviously the Federal Reserve is looking for some demand destruction. They're looking to cool off the housing market. They're they're looking to to try to, you know, stop this. But they also don't want to, uh, you know, they don't want to land in a recession. All right. And, and that's the that's the Goldilocks solution. Can they tamper down? Can they get back to their inflation target, which they're still publicly stating is two percent? I don't know if anyone believes them anymore. I don't I don't I think they're just lying to everyone. I think they really have 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 no intent, have no real beliefs. They can get back to two percent. Now, again, I think to be a successful central banker or politician, you have to be a good liar. Right. You, you know, the, the people that are listening to you have to believe you, even if you, you're telling them a lie, because, you know, it's it's the it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And it's it's not, you know, it's it's sheltering the bad news, you know, and and and, and you try to break it to them slowly. Just you know, how long was the Federal Reserve using the term transitory? you know, for this inflation. And now you are not using that word anymore. But they're still saying, oh, our target is 2% inflation. Really? Um, you know, that you, you charge on that. But so in either case, well, we're watching earnings. So we're mentioning Musk and Elon Musk. And so how did Tesla do? They, you know, so they reported earnings uh, this week and they did all right. So uh, earnings per share, Okay, came in at three dollars and twenty-two cents per share, and the street was looking for two hundred and twenty-six per two dollars and twenty-six cents. So they blew away earnings per share, and on revenues, revenues came in at eighteen point seven six billion dollars, and the street was looking for seventeen point eight billion. So they blew, you know. So boy, they they're looking great. Um, let's see. Um, the CFO, Zachary Kirkhorn and CEO Elon Musk on their, on their earnings call said that Tesla remains confident that it can grow at least 50% over 2021 numbers. Wow. Um, however, the execs noted that the company has lost about a month of build volume in Shanghai due to the COVID related shutdowns. Um, production is resuming at limited levels and we're working to get back full production as quickly as possible. Um, with respect to full-serve driving of any technology development I've ever been involved in, I've never really seen more kind of false dawns where it seems like we're going to break through, but we don't. Okay, so what they're saying, though, is the idea of the self-driving cars maybe is, is, is a tough egg to crack, and they're still working on that. Um, so how about some other earnings? Well, the big disappointment, of course, was... Netflix, right? And you heard the stories, you know, the, the, they just got whacked. Um, you, you know, they're what the the top does the stock I think tumbled at one point, I think it was down 37%. Ouch. Um, what happened? Well, it may be a reflection on America. You know, is America now getting away from the shutdown lifestyle? where we're all, you know, caught up in our houses and we had nothing to do but watch Netflix all week. 
Now, I don't personally have Netflix as a streaming. I know my kids do, and I think they're doing a thing that Netflix hates is that one of my kids, you know, the one making the most money, buys it and then gives the password to all his siblings. Um, and that's a big debate about that. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know what they can do about it. Um, I mean, in other words, if 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 I bought Netflix and I have a bunch of kids in my house and I've got a TV on three levels and I got Netflix, I buy one subscription. Is it against the law or against their rules that I've got one of my kids is watching it upstairs and one is watching downstairs and I'm watching it on another floor with my wife? I mean, yeah, but if I buy if if my son buys a prescription and he lives in his own house and his sister lives in another house and his brother lives in another house and he's sharing the password, that is how I don't know. It's a weird it's a weird dilemma. Um, and is it really stealing? Is it, is it a moral issue? You have to be the judge of that, right? Um, so, but, but, but back to the shift. Is America shifting from the shutdown mentality and the shutdown lifestyle to the getting back to normal, back to our future, where we're going outside, <laughs> we're going out to shows, we're going, you know, meaning they're no longer watching Netflix, they're going out to the movie theater. Or I think also the, the, uh, the inflation, I think a lot of people, a lot of younger people who maybe can't really afford the discretionary spending that Netflix, you know, becomes a, a luxury in, in a tight, um, in a tight inflationary world, you know, and, and, and I'll talk a little bit today about the 50, 30, 20 rule about, you know, bi- building a budget for the younger folks or anyone, but for that matter. But so the idea is, so we're looking, so w- for example, we know Tes- Tesla did fine. Okay. Netflix did terrible, but the other shine, the other industry that shined in the earnings week this week were the airlines. You know, I'm, if you remember, well, I don't recall, but if you go back and listen to one of, one of the uh, one of the few, uh, maybe two or three shows ago, I was talking with Carrie and, and I was saying, you know, is this is this inflation going to cause a lot of, let's say, baby boomers to cancel their travel plans? You know, once because they weren't, you know, nobody traveled during the shutdown. There's a lot of pent up demand for travel. And then, you know, the, the mask requirements are going away and the, and, the, and the countries, other countries are opening up as well as America is opening up and a lot of pent up demand. There was a lot of savings built up with all the stimulus money that was dropped in everybody's lap and nobody was spending money on anything because they were you know, shut up inside the house. So now you have this pent up demand, all this ex- excess cash. People were going to go travel again. Now, the question was, it was the inflation going to cut that out. And that's what I kept saying. We didn't really see that from our clients. We didn't have a lot of clients saying, Mark, I'm canceling my riverboat cruise because I'm worried about inflation. Well, apparently we, we got the answer that that is the case because the, of the airlines, they all did unbelievable. Okay. Um, Delta airlines, um, you know, now revenue came in at 9.35 billion, and the street was looking for $8.92 billion, okay? Um, Delta Airlines expects to return to a profit this quarter thanks to a jump in bookings and fares that are helping offset soaring fuel costs. So, so Delta saying we're able to pass the additional fuel costs on down to the consumer, and, and we're still filling up our planes. Um, the carrier forecast second quarter capacity at 84% of 2019, you know, the pre-RONA levels. Um, United Airlines, okay, um, okay. Now they still have a loss, so they had a four dollars and twenty four cent loss, you know, per share. But the street was looking um, for four twenty two, so it, it was you know about where it was expected. But the uh, and the revenue came in at seven point five seven billion. The street was looking for seven point six eight billion. So, so they they basically came in at street. They didn't really beat. They wasn't really a big miss. Um, but their forecast, their forward guidance, suggests airlines are at the turning point in the pandemic recovery as a drop in COVID cases has spurred renewed demand for travel and a public that hasn't yet shied away from higher ticket prices despite inflation hitting household budgets. Um, CEO Scott Kirby. Uh, is saying, I've never 
seen in my career, and I've been in this industry a long time, such a hockey stick increase in demand. Um, United shares, even on the not even beating consensus, the United shares rose more than 7%, you know, in, in after hours trading. Um, and then we had one more um, American Airlines, you know, the country's largest airline. Okay. Uh, adjusted loss. Again, they're still, see, these companies are still losing because they lost, you know, they were so far behind with the, when the pandemic shut down, there was no one, you know, when they had to, you know, park all the planes out in the desert, right? Um, adjusted loss per share, $2.32. But that, you know, beat the, the, the street was looking for a $2.40 loss. So they came a little better than that. Um, total revenue, $8.9 billion versus expected revenue of 8.8. So there's a beat there. And that was the other thing I was mentioning on last week's show, too. It's, uh, so, so one of the things that a lot of I heard a lot of economists say what we're going to be looking at this year isn't necessarily the earnings per share beat or miss, but more the, the top uh, line, the gross revenue beat or miss. Because if, we, if the companies show that they still, are, they still have demand for their product, even if they're charging higher price for that product. And again, this, we, now we're seeing this is more where the shift, which a lot of people are predicting that eventually the demand, you know, the, the, the excess demand, the, the, you know, the beach ball bounce recovery first was going to be on hard goods or products, um, but then eventually it would shift to services like travel and, and things like that and going out to restaurants and stuff like that. So that's kind of what we're seeing here in, in, these, in these quarterly numbers, right? Um, so Americans said March was the first month since the COVID pandemic began that its revenue surpassed, surpassed 2019 levels. Um, it expects to fly as much as 94% of its 2019 schedule. Um, even though they're saying they're paying $2 a gallon for fuel in the first quarter, up 65% from last year. Wow. Um, uh, and they also American forecast that business travel revenue will be 90% recovered from the 2019 levels. Remember, remember all the talk during the pandemic shutdown when, when we all started working out of our houses and people left the downtown rental, you know, the office towers and nobody wanted to go back to those places. They liked working at home, hard to believe. And yet some of the companies said, no, you got to come back to work. And some people said, no, I really don't. I'm going to retire, which kind of led to the, you know, part of the great resignation. But the the other talk was that would business travel ever come back? Because what what the business community did is they got used to using those Zoom calls, right? And they're saying, and and a lot of people were thinking, well, why would a company even pay to send an executive across the country, pay for a hotel room and their meals while they're out? if they could just accomplish the same productivity by a Zoom call with their West Coast clients, whatever. So there's a lot of talk that's saying the business travel was never going to come back. Well, I guess that wasn't the case. As you know, most of the airlines are saying that the business travel may not be fully back, but in, in you know American Airlines saying about ninety percent back. Other other experts or you know people who study the industry say it's it's about seventy percent overall. That about seventy percent of the business travel pre Rona is now back, and so maybe we are getting back to our future, where we're getting through this the economic hit that the Rona gave still not on the clear yet and nor are we out of the health you know it risks of the rona but i think people are resolved saying we're going to have to live with the health risks forever now it's a matter of can we get overcome the economic risk that it caused all right so you're listening to mark donnelly carrie waddell has the weekend off and if you'd like to learn more about how we help Cleveland families build custom financial plans. You can call us at 440-239-2090. That's 440-239-2090. Or you can go to or visit our website, financialfoodforthought.com. You can sign up for consultations there. You can see some of the articles that are published there. There's some calculators there, mortgage calculators, things like that. 
There's also, uh, you can link to our podcast, which come a link goes directly to the radio station, 1420, and they bank a lot of our past radio shows that sometimes you hear me referring to that we talked about that last weekend or the weekend before or something along those lines. And one of the things that we've been talking about is, are you concerned that Biden inflation will derail your retirement plan? And we look for data, including not only the CPI numbers and things like that. We also look to see signals from others. Now, one of the things besides the corporate earnings that we're watching this year very closely is the housing industry, you know, going into the house selling and buying season. And we got some mixed signals there this week, whereas there was an upside surprise on U.S. house building. Um, and it came up higher than what the experts were estimating, but it was really boosted by multifamily projects. And at the same time, they're saying, but the single family housing tumbled, you know, down about 1.7% in March. So yes, home building is on pace for one point, almost 1.8 million units this year. That's very good news. That's what we're seeing. Will the housing industry survive? You know, there's been a lot of talk about demand destruction. If the mortgage rates get to 5%, they've gone beyond that, I think, now. And we haven't even got to the first 50 basis point increase, more or less four consecutive 50, point, uh, 50 basis point increases by the Fed. So you know, a lot of people are saying, was that going to stop? Uh, well, apparently, maybe not yet, but yet we do saw the, the single family home. So, so the other thing, too, is that we're talking about is how would you recalculate or rerun your numbers, your financial planning numbers, if based on a higher embedded inflation rate? So one of the rules of thumb that is out there is for budgeting and how you could get on a good plan so you'll have a very successful retirement is the 50-30-20 rule, okay? And and strangely enough, you know, who came up with it or who made it very popular was no other than Elizabeth Warren, okay? Um, Now, it was back, I think, in 2005, maybe. I don't know. Quote me on that. But her and her daughter, Amelia, they they published a book. I think it was called Pocahontas, Alive and Well on Capitol Hill. No, actually, it wasn't called that. It was called All Your Worth, The Ultimate Lifetime Money Plan. And in that book, they popularized the 50-30-20 rule of thumb for budgeting. And basically, it says that you, know, you take 50% of your after-tax income, Okay. Well, so, well, let's start with that. You, you take your after-tax income. So in other words, you know, when you get a paycheck, first of all, you've got to pay your Uncle Sam, right? You first you have federal income tax, could have Ohio income tax. You have your Social Security tax. You have your Medicare tax. You may have a local income tax, right? So all those taxes, right? And they come out of your paycheck. So then you take your income after that, and that's what you start with. And then you say, of that goes to your mandatory living expenses, housing, health care, groceries, auto, things like that. Then 30% goes to the discretionary, your entertainment, your travel, your hobbies, things like that. And then the 20% is what you save, okay, whether that's in a company plan, outside a company plan, doesn't matter. Just the idea is can you live below your means, meaning that, if you know if you're making a hundred percent, can you live off? Well, you know what's going to taxes first, but you know you know what's left over was if that's the hundred percent left over, can you save twenty percent of that? You know, in other words, live below your means. And if you do that, and if you start that as soon as you start a career, you're going to have a very good retirement. Trust me, I can run the numbers on you. Uh, if you want to come in, I'll run the numbers for you. But the question becomes, yeah, that's fine if you start at that at age 24 and you live by that rule for your whole career, you're going to be very happy in retirement. But can the 50-30-20 rule save the 50-year-old who hasn't started saving for retirement yet? Um, and that's something we've looked at at this uh, over the years, and I haven't done it in a while, and I'll probably spend a couple weeks on this. I don't know if I'll get to it all today, but... 
It's, it's, and this is what we can use the robots today to help us crunch these numbers. Um, and so if, if we took the base case, and, and this is where we were uh, very spoiled by a 2% inflation rate for the last 20 years or whatever, you know, prior to last year. So let's say you've got a 50-year-old couple. And let's say their combined wages are $100,000 a year. And they haven't started saving for retirement yet. Okay, would the 50-30-20 rule get them prepared for retirement by, and let's say they wanted to retire at age 67? Uh, because maybe they're saying that's when they're just going to you know, get their uh, full retirement age for Social Security. So they have 18 more years of working. So let's take the 100000 and let's assume that they're getting cost of living increases on that wage base of 2% a year, which at the time was equivalent to the inflation rate, let's say. So in other words, their pay is going up correlated to what inflation is going up. So that, you know, it's, it's keeping their life, maintaining their lifestyle constant, so to speak. So 100,000. So let's take you know, 50% goes to your daily living expenses. You know, that's $50,000, $30,000 goes to discretionary and they start saving now $20,000 a year. Okay. And let's assume they get a 5% rate of return. Now, if you don't know what rate of return, if you're doing this at home, you know, ask your investment advisors. You know, you say, hey, Mr. Investment Advisor, based on how you have me allocated today, what do you think is a good long-range rate of return I should be using in my financial model? And then let, let them give you a response. Right. Now, I'm using 5% as an example. So let's say they start on that plan, and now they carry that through for 18 years. Okay, now, so what's the balance? And, and they live under that rule. In other words, in year two, they're making now $102,000. we are assuming a 2% increase. By the way, if, you need a, if you're making double that, then you double the numbers here. If you're making half that, you have the numbers. It's, that's, I'm just using 100000 to keep the math simple. Or if, more, if you want to run this, if you want us to help you run this for you, we've got the models set up in our office. We and we we do this for clients all the time. Now, so if you so let's say in year two, you're 102,000 wages now. So 51,000, you know, the 50 percent is spending on your mandatory living expenses. 30,600 is discretionary and 20,400 now is being invested. So if you follow that through, you know, that keeps it out. At the end of the 18 years, now you've attained age 67, now you're going to retire. What is your cumulative savings? You know, you started saving 20000 a year um, 18 years later with the 5% growth annually. Your nest egg is now $684,000, almost 685000 Okay, so that's what you've built up now going, is your nest egg going into retirement. Now, the question is, is that enough to carry you in retirement, all right? So this is where now we can go back and use Benjen's 4% rule. Remember, because he, you know, the idea of what's a safe withdrawal in retirement, so borrowing Benjen's 4% rule, again, which he used 5% rate of return, he used a 30-year time, 30 30 time period, so if you're starting that, in this example, your first retirement year is age 68, 30 years, that takes you to 97, is that long enough? That's probably the most long enough for most people. Okay. And now, you know, so in, in the 4% rule, and then we're, now we're building in, you know, Benjamin, he built in 3.5% inflation, you know, in his 4% rule. So now we've got the 3.5% inflation going. Um, and so you take out 4% of the first year, that's about 20, you know, so 4% of the 685,000. It's about twenty eight thousand. I'm just rounding up here. About twenty eight thousand is the first year withdrawal, and now you also add in your two social securities. You know, in this case, so so because you're starting your your social security at that point too. In this example, uh, you know, the husband had about forty eight thousand dollars in social security. Spousal half benefit was another twenty four thousand plus the twenty seven thousand, twenty eight thousand. So roughly, they could start their retirement budget at a hundred thousand a year. And then with inflation protection, because Benjamin built in the inflation protection on the withdrawal rate, you know, three and a half percent per year. So, you know, in the first year, you're taking out twenty eight thousand. The second year, you're taking out around twenty nine thousand, you know, and so forth. 
Um, and also, their Social Security you know, has cost of living increases. All right. So is 100000 going to cover it? Well, though that, this is the interesting point. So we go back and say, well, if you follow the 50-30-20 plan, okay, you, if, let's look at what, what lifestyle, and this is where a lot of times people get into the problem of following this rule, is because of what we call um, you know, inflation, you know, bracket inflation, you know, or, or the idea that, um, you know, the, the, the lifestyle creep. In other words, as you, as you increase your pay, you tend to increase your discretionary spending um, as opposed to increasing your savings rate, right? So it's so that's sometimes, you know, or that if you're or you, you increase your, your mandatory living, in other words, you buy too much of a house. Right. Or you buy too much of an automobile um, or you're spending too much at the grocery store um, because you got a pay increase, but you didn't you decided to spend that instead of following the rule and saying, first thing you do is save 20 percent of that. Right. Now, so if if I follow the, this, though, we're in the in the first year, we we're saying 100,000 with. 80% going to living expenses and discretionary, that's 80000 But if we increase that under the old inflation rate of, let's say, 2% a year, what does that 80000 what is that representing? What, are you re- what is your lifestyle now when you're 67? And it would be about 112000 a year. Okay. Um, and, and so if you're saying that, all right, I can, you know, now, when you go into retirement, you're saying, yeah, but Mark, I wanted to do some travel when I retired and, and I wanted to spend some more money on hobbies because, you know, when I was working or when we were both working full time, we, we didn't do a lot of travel. We didn't have time to travel or we, you know, we, we have a lot more time in retirement to spend on our hobbies. We want to enjoy the golden years. Well, that's it. And that gets to the idea. Remember, there's an, also an old rule that was around for a long, long time which was the 80% rule, which is the idea saying that how much you should plan on spending in retirement is about 80% of what you were spending before you retired. So that comes into play here. But, but when you think about it, this is where the, um, the 20% savings and the payroll taxes come into play. See, because when you retire, you no longer have to put 20% of your money into retire uh, retirement plan or investments you're you're now starting the distribution phase right so you don't have to account for that that's somehow people sometimes go from 100% to 80% another one is you don't pay payroll taxes when you're retired all right you you no longer paying social security tax or that medicare tax is not being deducted uh, from your payroll um, you're not paying local income taxes when you're in retirement okay you know, you know so that can save you some money too. That may be your additional discretionary spending. But really, these numbers change dramatically when we add in Biden inflation. And now you're saying all of a sudden, my 50% mandatory spending, that's going up at a 7% clip, but my pay is only going up 2 to 3%. We'll talk more about that next week. All right. Have a good week, everyone. Tune in next week for more financial food for thought. For more information about the show, for estate planning or upcoming seminars, call the estate planning team at 440-239-2090. Thanks for listening.